Support for our show comes solely from listeners like yourself. If you like what we're doing, help us by sharing the pod on social media and leaving us a five-star review, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Audible. Thanks again for listening, and without further ado, let's start the show. I'm Robert Castanello, President of the United Faculty of Florida at the University of Central Florida. Being a union member at a college or university in this country is the purest form of faculty shared governance you can experience. Since the 1960s, all vestiges of shared faculty governance has disappeared on the campus environment. We no longer have a say in who our leaders are, even within our own departments. We have no real say on university policy, that is unless we are in a workplace with a faculty union. If it is like our faculty union, our union leaders, including our officers, are elected through a democratic election. We sit around the table and negotiate the terms of our contract and sometimes impact bargain things which are not in the contract. When we come to an agreement, all members vote on that agreement. In Florida, this type of faculty shared governance is enshrined in our state constitution in our right to collectively bargain a right won for us by the brave public school teachers who went on strike in the spring of 1968. Not only did they win that strike, but they left us the legacy of union recognition and our right to collectively bargain. Hey guys, welcome back to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brian Pickett. I'm the FEA Director and Fire Co-Chair here at PCTA. I'm Philip, fire co-chair at PCTA. I'm Andrew Spar. I'm the president of the Florida Education Association. And I'm Nancy Velarde, the president of the Pinellas Classroom Teachers Association. And this is our president episode. I like to call it the <laughs> quote-unquote state of the union. Get it, right? We got some local, we got some statewide. We're looking at our leaders today and we're kind of asking about why they're here, what, what they're doing, and where is Florida heading? That's kind of where we're going with this one. So I'm going to start with Andrew, I think, which is, Andrew, why did you become more active with the union? Like what initially fueled your passion for organized labor? So I joined the union as soon as I started teaching. And what I noticed right away, I taught in Daytona Beach Elementary Music. uh, And I noticed that kids who live two miles from the ocean, in a lot of cases, had never been to the beach. And I recognized (laughs) that our students were being shortchanged. And when you try to do right by our students, what you were finding is there wasn't a lot of pathways to make sure kids had what they need. And so I started getting involved. I started uh, speaking up for our kids. And one of the best ways I found to speak up for kids, uh, especially kids who live in poverty, is to to have a voice through your union, uh, to have that collective voice in which we can really speak about what's going on in our classrooms, what are the challenges we're facing, what is preventing us from being able to connect to our kids. When I I started teaching, it was right around the time FCAP was coming into play. And so it was this idea of focus on testing. And we were moving more and more to focus on testing, which means we were worried about reading. We were worried about math, but we weren't worried about music. And we weren't worried about kids having a holistic experience in school, things that kept us all connected when we were in school. 
And so that that really is what drove me to get more involved in the union, to make sure that we had a voice for our <clears throat> profession and for our kids. And how long have you been an educator for? You had to ask that question. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I had to. <laughs> I, I am finishing up my 29th year as an educator in Florida. Wow. Well, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to some people I know. Right. <laughs> You're still a baby. Don't worry. <laughs> are you, Andrew, are you, a, are you an artist and musician yourself? I am. I'm a violinist by trade. I started playing the violin when I was five years old. Uh, I went to the Ohio State University on a music education scholarship. Uh, and then came down here and started teaching. And the program I taught was a specialized program. I taught violin, viola, cello, and string bass uh, to all uh, all these kids at uh, Turiti Small Elementary School, about 500 kids from pre-K through fifth grade. So wow. uh, it was really a neat experience. My wife is a teacher as well. She's been, uh, and a music teacher, that's where we met. She's been teaching a little less than I have, but yeah. Very cool. So all these all these electives and artistic programs that are getting cut and cut and cut are, are, are as important to you as they are to plenty of us, myself included. I don't teach music, but I am a musician. So Nancy, same question for you, right? <laughs> what, what, what brought you into this? Well, um, I started teaching in New York where and I was a union member. I was not terribly involved with the union there. But uh, as soon as I moved to Florida, I automatically became a union member here. I believed very strongly in union. I didn't come to teaching until I was 40. Uh, so I had worked for many companies where, of course, we have no union. Um, I was fired from two different jobs because I defended another employee who was being treated poorly and spoke up for them and, of course, was let go because I spoke up. Um, that's what it's like to work without a union or without a contract pr protecting your due process. So, of course, as a teacher, uh, when I came here, I was I first started at Boca Ciega High School and they had a unit cut and I was the newest employee. So I was moved out and placed at Pinellas Park High School. The principal there was not happy about having someone foisted on her, especially someone from New York. <laughs> <laughs> And so attempted to not renew me at the end of the year. And so I reached out to my union and they were with me the whole time to prove that there was no reason to. And this was prior to the annual contracts. Mm -hmm. So there was a way to demand due process for that at that time. And they asked for their reasons. Why would you be letting this person go? There were no reasons. There was no documentation so I ended up staying um, and be became one of the lead teachers at Pinellas Park High School. I did get an apology from that principal years later <laughs> when our numbers rose and they said that it was mainly due to my work and that they were sorry that they had taken an automatic dislike to me. Um, and I stayed there for the rest of my career until I became president here. I did get more and more involved with the union at that point when I realized how very important due process is um, from both experiences. And then I became the rep over there and mm -hmm. gradually started working with bar the bargaining team here for about 18 years. Wow. I've been sitting on the bargaining team. And that's where you really see how hard the union works to make sure that the employees are getting what they need. Because if the employees aren't getting what they need, the kids are not getting what they need. And we all know that that's true, that if we care about children, we must care about those who teach them. What is it like to work in a school where you know you're not wanted there? 
It was very difficult at first. I was yeah. I was very upset by the whole thing, and I was glad I was able to prove myself mm-hmm. so that I could show them. I still loved working with the kids, Yeah, and I knew that I was a good teacher. And I'm and sure I, the kids loved you, too. They have no idea what's going on behind closed doors, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I developed wonderful relationships with them. Um, many of our teachers in Pinellas County now are ex-students of mine. Yeah. I'm hoping they're not going to be angry at me for because they've chosen this profession because of me. I Wait, you it, convince people to become teachers? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and I, it was at, they just did it because they liked me as a teacher. Oh, no. And I just hope there doesn't come a day where they look back and say, that Miss Velarde, she, I wish I had never had her. Suckers. <laughs> That's one way to grow union numbers. Just force them, all your just, students to become just teachers. Just keep, keep telling them to be teachers and be part of my union. There you go. Uh, and we were, you, you and I have already talked We've about already talked, um, yeah. why we started joining. I mean, you and yeah. I worked in different industries. Because our teachers convinced us to do it. Oh, That's it was why. never. Be, actually, I never wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> Let me make that very clear. Yeah, I never wanted to be thing. a teacher. I kind of fell into this and I learned to love it. It was, yeah. like, it was a learned process for me. And I was like, actually, I think I love this job. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, you know, for as much as we do kind of this podcast sometimes does become a downer, I routinely say that there are worse jobs out there and I've had all of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brian Pickett here talking to Philip El Castro, Andrew Spar, and Nancy Filardi. Looking specifically at our history, Florida's history with education. It appears that we're almost at some sort of existential crisis as a state. And I'm starting all the way back to 1968 when we had a teacher walkout, which then prompted the legislature to put collective bargaining into the state's constitution. We're one of the few states, I believe, with collective bargaining in our state's constitution. And I'm looking at us now where the union is simply fighting to exist. So asking this question, and we can kind of jump around here, is, is a teacher's union even relevant for Florida educators at this point? And how do we get to this point? So first of all, yes, a yes. union is extremely relevant, especially because of what we're dealing with right now. You know, don't we all have to look at why is it that our voice is under attack? And I want to be clear, as I said earlier, being part of a union means having a voice in our profession, having a voice for our students, having a voice for the families and communities we serve and live in. And you have to wonder why is it we're under attack? Why do they wanna take away our voice? Why do they wanna make it harder for us to decide whether or not we wanna join a union, how we pay our union dues, how we operate our union? Well, it's very simple. There has been a move for a while now to try and undermine public education. Uh, to divert dollars away from public schools, to shortchange our students. And they haven't been successful at it. Let's be honest. The opposition who's been trying to undermine public schools has not been successful for two reasons. One reason is us, the profession, organized, speaking up, having that voice. The other reason is the parents. I'm a parent. A lot of other of our our members and teachers and staff and colleagues we work with are parents. But parents also continue to say they want strong public schools for their kids. They want their kids to go to their neighborhood public schools. When vouchers and charters started in Florida over 20 years ago, 90% of children in in Florida went to, to the public schools. 
Today, almost 90% of kids attend our public schools. And so it hasn't worked. And so because we stand up, because we speak out, because we know the importance of, of every child being able to connect to their learning, to see themselves in their learning, to feel safe at school, to feel loved, to feel supported, uh, in order to get that education they deserve, uh, we become a target because we speak out. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I've said this before in previous episodes about how we almost got here. It's, I feel like the last election, we, I wouldn't say we backed the wrong horse, but we are facing the repercussions of backing this horse. And now it almost feels malicious. Like because we backed a certain candidate, now the other side is actively targeting us and trying to destroy us, it seems like. It's specific. Well, the, I was going to say that it is also our votes that they're trying to silence. I mean, they, they've they been trying to privatize public education for a very long time for political reasons, but also for financial reasons. There are definitely many people in the legislation who would financially profit from charters and some charter schools and private schools. They know that it won't be forever because public schools do always end up winning and having the higher and better results. But they're not, they're not even really concerned about that because meanwhile, they will be making their money. They will make some money and then eventually hand it back to the public schools and kind of admit defeat as it's going in, in Ohio and Texas and everywhere else where the universal vouchers or almost universal vouchers are still showing the public schools coming out ahead and having better results. This is a way of stopping the teachers from being powerful because they have not been able to privatize public schools. They've been trying for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And it's basically the teachers themselves who have prevented it from happening because they're good at their jobs. They just pivot every time they throw a new test at them, every time they throw new standards, every time they, they try to trip them up, they simply dance around it and come out on top again because we're, we actually know what we're doing mm -hmm. and public schools are actually very good. Um, so they realized that the test idea wasn't really working, changing that and changing standards. They had to go deliberately directly after the teachers and that's when they started the attacks like annual contract and and Marzano and evaluations that are tied to pay, hurting veteran teacher pay. These were direct attacks. And what better way to get rid of your teachers than to shoot down their union? Yeah, it's like inflation of bureaucracy just to kind of make the job so insurmountable that people just don't want to do it. It just becomes not worth it. Yes. So I, I haven't had this thought before, but I'm curious I'm wondering how many of these legislate legislators who are voting against us actually send their kids to public school. I don't know. I would bet you a lot of them do. They a do. lot of them do. And and no, this is not a partisan issue, right? There's right. a lot of Republican lawmakers who have publicly said or privately said even to some of our own members uh, around the state that they don't agree with this. Uh, what we have to recognize what's happening in Tallahassee right now, this is not the people's legislative session. This is the governor's legislative session. Oh, okay. And yet he's trying to come back at us for political reasons, but also it's not it, it, it's not political reasons just in retaliation. Clearly we're seeing what he's doing with Disney. It's all retaliation in that sense, right? But it's also political reasons in that we get in the way 
of doing what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy who doesn't like people who get in his way. He's trying to get us out of his way because he doesn't want to be here anymore. He wants to be in the White House. I mean, why, right. what is what is his end goal here? He doesn't even want to live and work here anymore. And I don't really feel like that's going to work out for him in the end because, I mean, <laughs> the rest of the country sees this and they're disgusted. I know. It's not like this is popular in New York or I California know. or Texas even, maybe yeah. Texas, but I wouldn't even say Texas at this Go. point. Yeah, and his policies in Florida are not popular in Florida. Like, people right. are upset with the book banning, right? That You guys have been dealing with it in Pinellas County, the idea of taking books out of the hands of kids. You know, we at Florida Education Association, we actually have a suit against the state on some of the book banning stuff. Um, it's it's through the Department of Administrative Hearings, which is, you know, leads to the courts eventually, potentially. Uh, but one of our claims is that this this idea of removing books from the classroom not only impacts kids, it impacts teachers. Because guess what? We all know when we talk, especially at elementary and they're they're curtailing books in elementary classrooms. But kids have to read and they read things they relate to, just like we do as adults. We read books that we relate to, that interest us, that excite us about reading. And when you take those away from kids, they're not reading. When they're not reading, they're not getting better at reading. When they're not getting better at reading, they don't do as well on these stupid standardized tests that we're evaluated on, paid on, and determined whether or not we keep our job. So there is this direct impact on these decisions that they're making on our kids and on us as professionals. And it's such a societal failure too. I mean, yeah, we can worry about the state tests all we want, but if these kids can't read and learn how to like have empathy for human beings, like we're right. failing our society at this point. 100%. Right. And the opposite of bigotry is education. If you are propagating a bigoted idea, the best way to do it is silence education. And I was thinking this while we were talking, you know, commonly people are against unions because of the idea that we protect the bad ones, right? We hear this about cops, we hear about teachers, oh, unions protect bad teachers. But I think we need to start taking this narrative and kind of pushing forward. No, we're protecting children at this point. We're protecting from bad teachers. From bad teachers. <laughs> we're seriously, we're protecting children from the legislators at this point as well. If we're looking at is the is the union relevant? I mean, I think Andrew immediately said yes, right? Yeah. I can't imagine why he would say that, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but, but, but let me also say this, right? Because just along the lines you were saying, not only do we fight for the profession and fight for our kids, we've never protected bad teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it's that misnomer out there. We defend a process. Everyone should have a right to a fair process right. in the work. Exactly. It's why you see Starbucks workers organizing, Amazon workers organizing, and others wanting to organize because they want to be treated fairly at work and they want to be treated with dignity and respect. And, and that's what's missing right now from education. This vilification that we have seen by our, led by our governor, to be honest, right? But this vilification of us as professionals, this idea that we as professionals can't be trusted uh, in the classroom for the work that we're doing. Uh, is is crazy because parents do trust us, mm -hmm. right? Parents trust us. I've been asking this to teachers all over the state. How many times have you had a parent question books you have in your classroom library? And I have yet to find one teacher say they've had a parent question a book in their classroom no. library. No. Yet there's legislation that passed last year that they're expanding now dealing with books in classrooms. And, and making it seem like we're nefarious in how we select books and that we're doing it to push an agenda. No, we want kids to read books they're interested in, that they love, 
And we're going to stand up for that value. And we want to make sure there's a fair process and respect in the profession uh, for what we do so that we can adequately and appropriately teach every child. Yeah. So, Andrew, how did we get here? How did how did the FEA get here? How did Florida education get to this point where it's literally it's fight or flight? Like we're, we're trapped in a corner, I feel like. This is the reason why I made the podcast is I feel like it's, it's hopeless at this point. How did we get here? Well, one, I'll say it's not hopeless. When you have a union, when you have a voice, the reason they're coming after us shows it's not hopeless. Um, but, but I will say we got here for really the last 20 years of really bad policy and education that has continued to try and take away the voice of the professional. And we have seen the impacts first on kids choosing not to go to college to become teachers, right? Right there, University of South Florida talked about eliminating its college of education because enrollment is so low. The University of Central Florida in Orlando no longer has a standalone college of education. They have the College of Education and Innovation uh, because they couldn't sustain the College of Education on its own. Um, And so you see fewer and fewer Uh, young people going in and wanting to be teachers. And in fact, I just met with a group of about 30 not that long ago, um, our student FEA. These are kids in college who want to become teachers. There's about 30 of them at a conference. And we asked them if they planned on staying in Florida when they became teachers. And only two out of the 30 said they'd stay in Florida, right? And that really goes to to, to underscore this issue. But now let's look at the other end of the spectrum. Someone who had been teaching for five or 10 years we call them a career teacher. They were gonna stay till they retire. Well, we're seeing teachers with 15, 20, 25 years, 27 years, 18 years, whatever it is, leaving the profession in droves right now because they can't be the teacher they know they're supposed to be. They can't help the kids in front of them and they're frustrated and the pay is lousy and gotten worse because of bad policy. An 18 year veteran teacher recently told me, Uh, that he was leaving a science teacher, right? Recently leaving high school science teacher, leaving the profession after 18 years. um, And he said he was leaving because he couldn't do the job he was hired to do in an effective way. And he was making $175 a year more than a first year teacher. And he said, why am I staying? Why am I putting up with this? And, And what scares me about that, quite honestly, is that's the intent that some people have in trying to drive those, those of us out of the profession who care so much about kids. And so what I think we have to do, when going back to the hope, I'm, I'm gonna, I know we're gonna talk about this more in a minute, but I wanna say that what we have to do is we have to counter that. We counter that through our union. We counter that through having a voice. We counter that by encouraging people to become teachers and not just be teachers, but be activists, be advocates. We have to be both an, uh, an incredible, passionate educator who wants to make sure kids are getting what they need in the classroom, And in order to do that, we have to advocate outside the classroom to make sure we have the tools and support to do that job. You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm here today with Philip Belcastro, Andrew Spar, and Nancy Filardi. And moving on to our third and last talking point for the show today, we're going to be looking at, well, SB 256. Union-busting bills such as SB 256 have been passed, and um, they've been passed in other states, such as right-to-work states, such as, I don't know, other ones like Texas. And I think Missouri is a good example of a right-to-work state that had a good union-busting bill. And in these other cases, how do these unions bounce back, if at all, from these attacks? And does the FEA know what we're doing is enough? Like, are we doing enough as a union to actually 
survive with all these recent attacks. I know Wisconsin, I'm not sure where they're at in coming back, but we do know that they were devastated down to a less than a page of a contract when they're when the when that bill passed in that state. Um I also I'm not, I'm not sure and I'm sure Andrew has more knowledge on where which what stage each of these places are at with with their bounce back. But it is happening. I mean we but unfortunately it does take a very long time. That's why it's imperative that we don't disappear. That we don't that we meet the 60% requirement that we get everybody moved over to edus that we because I do think that's doable. I think in the time frame that we have it is doable. It's going to mean everybody f- understanding what union really is that we, it's all of us together and that we're all recruiting, we're all um talking to our our the, the teacher in the room next to us and saying have you gotten on to edus yet? Are you on edus? Can I show you how to do it? Can I help you? Everybody has to be working at this and I think it's doable. I mean, we have just started with the edus, but I think we can do this. We we've got a good program, a good plan to get to all, all the sites and I think that's the most important thing is we don't let them take us down. Nancy's 100% right. First of all, uh Brandon, I'm going to say uh, it's right to work for less. We're in a right to work for less state. Yes. Why do I say that? Because in states where uh, a lot of our colleagues choose not to join the union, we don't make as much money as in states where people are members of the union. Um and it's the power, right? There's power in numbers. You hear it's a cliche kind of thing, but it's true. And the more people who belong to a union, the more power that union has. and it's a local by local kind of situation. We have nearly 150,000 members across this state. We could have closer to 300,000 members if we really all decided we were going to stand together, stand shoulder to shoulder, have that power that should be in our hands to make sure we defend our profession, defend our public schools and defend the rights of children and our families we serve. But but let me also talk about the bill for a minute because I want to make sure everyone understands it. This is a bill that attacks us as individuals. This isn't I know you called it a union busting bill and maybe that's the intent, but it's really an attack on each of us as an individual. First and foremost, it insults our intelligence. It says we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I mean literally when they have to say on the membership application you have to tell people that they don't have to belong to the union in the state of Florida. They don't. You never had to. People know that they're choosing to belong to the union. Wait a minute. Wait say, a minute. I I I I don't have to be a part of this? <laughs> yeah. Should we shut this down right now? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> well, I didn't know. Nobody told me that. I'll leave it. <laughs> Whoa, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, Andrew. It was, it was groundbreaking for me. Somebody yeah, should tell Andrew Spar. He doesn't have to be president anymore. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, it, it's it's that crazy thing, though, right? And, and they literally are trying to say that we don't know how to decide what to do with our own money, that we're not smart enough. They, they literally said we're trying to protect teachers from themselves. <laughs> are you kidding? I still we don't understand that. This goes to the whole vilification and undermining and lack of respect. I think I can decide that I want to pay my union dues through my paycheck. I can decide to pay insurance through my paycheck. 
I can decide to donate money to United Way and other organizations through my paycheck. Why all of a sudden can't I decide to pay my union dues through my paycheck? Hmm, I wonder why. Hmm. You know, it's that kind of of process. Um, And then they go further and say, and we also don't trust you in terms of how you run your union. So we're gonna put oversight in place so we can decide whether or not your union is operating the way it should. Well, hold on a second. You know, as union members, we elect a president, Nancy and Pinellas and soon to be Lee, right? Uh, You know, you elect board members to work with the president. You elect building reps who go to meetings every month and make decisions, who overlook and see what the budget is, make sure the finances are being spent correctly and wisely. You as a union member can come in and check that information out. Like we have rights the state wants to take that rights. This is about concentrating power at the state, not with you as individuals. This is about pushing you out and silencing you. And that's why we should be offended by this legislation. And Nancy hit on this 60% rule. Let's think about that for a minute. They're saying that in the right to work for less state where you don't have to belong to a union, at least 60% of your colleagues uh, do not choose to be a member of the union. You could potentially lose that union lose that contract, lose that voice. Um, And and here's the thing, the governor in the state of Florida was not elected by 60% of the (laughs) eligible voters in the state of Florida. In fact, he was only elected by 32% of eligible voters in the state of Florida. Um, And so it really is an insult and we should see it as an insult. And Nancy's right. We've got to switch to e-dues. And, and to be clear, e-dues that we've developed that we're using in Pinellas and, and just about every other county in the state, it is safe, it is secure. We went out and found a very, very strong company to partner with uh, who does business with uh, places like Spotify and PayPal and some other big companies. They have a relationship with 15,000 banks. This is not a fly-by-night company. We are doing everything we can to have a seamless, easy process for each and every one of our members that is safe and secure. And that's what we're going to do to make sure that we're still around. And we need everyone to be part of that movement, not to sit on. This is not the time to sit on the sideline, guys. Look what's happening in public education. Look what's happening to our profession. We either choose to be engaged and advocates in this work or we choose to watch it fall apart. Stand with us. Stand together. Let's build this movement the way we know it should be done. And let's send a message, not just to the governor of the state of Florida, but to the nation that in Florida, public educators will not turn their backs on public education and the students of our state. But Andrew, I've never actually have heard of a state bouncing back like this before. Like, has this ever been done before? Is Florida going to be the first? Like, who has actually successfully done this before? Uh, Michigan is a great example. Alabama is another example. Um, Alabama was the first to really lose payroll deduction, and it took them several years. But they are way they have way more members now than they did when they lost payroll deduction. Uh, look at Michigan. Michigan. They did it in Michigan. They didn't lose a whole bunch of members. They lost some because people didn't transfer over and they lost other rights too uh, in Michigan. Uh, but Michigan converted it into action. And not only did they get their members to switch to an e-dues kind of platform, uh, they engaged their members and they changed the people in charge. And now they just got back 
right to work status in Michigan and they just got back payroll deduction in Michigan because they got engaged. Wow. And that's what we have to do in Florida. We have to follow that playbook. Just so many, so many thoughts. So I'm, I'm going to condense these all. Like since I've gotten more involved with the union, you know, kind of touching back on a, a previous subject, I've been reading more and more about organizing and working closely with Jamie here, um, our organizer. And so much stuff is pointing towards exactly what you're saying, like getting these, like what they call rank and file members, right? Teachers who are in the classroom, getting people involved because so many people will just kind of rely on legislators and lawyers to kind of do the work for them because it seems so far removed. But here in Pinellas, we we have pretty decent de density. Um, the school that me and Pickett work at has pretty good density. Um, what would you suggest to other counties, other teachers who are listening, who, by the way, if you're listening to this right now, make sure you talk to your representatives, your site reps about e-dues and how you get yourself signed up if you haven't done it already. So, Andrew, what do you suggest to other peoples at other sites and other counties all over Florida and all other other states uh, that are dealing with similar issues? How do you get your your classroom teachers particularly if they find themselves in situations like nancy had mentioned earlier where they're uncomfortable they feel like they're they're trying to be pushed out of the classroom how do we get these people to to be the the next po the next podcast at their county or at their site yeah so the first thing is tap into your passion tap into your passion we all have a passion to be educators even if we came in from other careers and, and fell in love with teaching by accident. I, I went into teaching because there was someone in my life growing up, there were teachers, there were several teachers in my life growing up who had an impact on me. And I had a love of music. And I said, I wanna share my love of music with others. That's why I got involved in education. But I had teachers like Dr. Goodwin who taught me, you don't have to know all the answers. You just have to know where to go and get the answers. And I always tell people that was before Google. You had to like <laughs> crack open the encyclopedia. You had to open some books uh, to find out where all those answers were. But, but I will say that that's our passion. And if we tap into our passion and recognize that if we truly want to continue in our passion, we have to expand how we share it. We're educators. We have to educate the public, not just the kids in front of us. We have to educate our colleagues and, and bring them along uh you know and and we can do that the best recruiters for union uh membership are union members the people who are teaching next door to you need to hear from you who are saying hey we've got to stand together this is the time to come together this is not the time for us to be in our room close the door and just pretend nothing else is happening because they're coming into our rooms right now they're coming into our classrooms and telling us what we cannot teach that we cannot care. I mean, can you think about it? I mean, you know, look at some of the stuff they're saying to us. They're saying, don't care about kids. That's what they're saying when they say, if a kid comes to you and asks a question uh, and confides in you about an issue related to sex or sexual orientation or gender or anything like that, they're saying, don't respond to that kid. What does that mean? They're pulling books out of schools that kids identify with. And we, I said this earlier, I wanna say this again, cause I think it's so important. We all know that kids do not learn until they know we care. And we know that kids will only learn if they see themselves in that learning. And that's what we do every day. We connect kids 
to their learning. And it feels like now what's happening is we're being told we could lose our job if we connect kids to their learning. I think so much about our meeting last night, Nancy, and it got a little emotional because we were talking recently about the Don't Say Gay expansion, right? And I think I almost teared up listening to you talk about about people are going to die from this. Yes. You know, these politicians, they're, they're passing bills and they're pushing their bigotry on the people. And I mean, my uncle's gay. I mean, I grew up around homosexual people my, my whole life. Right. And to think that we do live in St. Pete. So. We also live <laughs> in St. Pete. I mean, to think that there's constantly legislation getting pushed through to target specific people to target me as an educator. Right. It, it hurts. I guess all I can say to kind of make things kind of cheery a little bit here is say, well, at least I have my union because we're going to be the ones to stand up against this because no one else is, it feels like. You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brennan Pickett here talking to Philip Castro, Andrew Sparr, and Nancy Filardi. Well, there's a lot of people unaware of all of the intricacies of what's happening, and which is something I think PCTA is doing very well, better than they've ever done before. Um, is make, getting the community involved with us, getting other groups together to be involved with us, to be to spread the word. Because this is going, if this takes down educators, if this weakens public schools, that's going to hurt the community. The community is going to suffer, no question about it. We are the center of the community. That was made clear by the governor during COVID. We had to be open because without us, People couldn't work because we are the center of the community. And now, all of a sudden, we're not terribly important anymore. Um, Ron DeSantis would never contradict himself, though. No, that could never happen. That would never happen. I just taking away the ability for a child to have a confidant and a a partner in in talking to their family about very delicate issues. To them, it just breaks my heart because I do know that harm will, those kids will attempt suicide and worse still be successful because they will feel like there is no one, that they have no one. That's one of the things that, you know, one of my, one of my uh, realizations here now as a, as a relatively new teacher still is how much emphasis is putting put, being put on these computer programs like Albert I.O., Common Lit, IXL, all that kind of stuff. None of those programs for all of their data collection, for all of their their standards and everything, you, a kid cannot talk to that computer yes. and, and have that computer like have empathy for them and with them. That That is irreplaceable. And that's part of what we do as professionals. That is part of the profession. That is part of the job. It's not part of the job description, but it is part of the job. And a computer will never fill that role. Right. If you're doing the job right, then yes, it is part of the job. Mm -hmm. And luckily, we do have a superintendent who does agree with that mm -hmm. and does believe that the face-to-face -face interactions between teacher and student are the way student, the best way for students to learn. So, and we are going to move away from that. That's going to be a gradual thing, but mm -hmm. but this is this is just putting a lot of complication on the interactions we can have. And that is what I had done as the Gay Straight Alliance sponsor for years, mm. helped kids come out to their parents and make it painless for both sides. Mm -hmm. I think, Brandon, something that you had echoed that Brandt had said on an episode, and I think it's it rings true right now and it always will, our classrooms have always been open. They've always been open. Yes. And I think on that, um, we're gonna take a break. 
So we're going to take a break here, guys. And when we get back, we're going to do our base awards. So stick around. Hello there. If you support the podcast, you can now donate directly to us from the link in the description. You can donate 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99 monthly. Your donation can help get me, Aziz, off the streets. Well, unfortunately, Aziz will always be on the streets. He yearns for the streets. But your support will go towards producing high-quality episodes just like the one you're listening to right now. Your support helps us keep gas in the tank, food on our tables, and our classrooms full of pencils and paper. We all know edumacators all over America are undervalued and underpaid. Help us, mooks like me, continue to bring recognition and a voice to education professionals. Hey guys, it's Brennan. One of my goals moving into this podcast project was to have the voices of our listeners play an active role in sharing our message that Union's public schools, well, they're not going anywhere without a fight. And as we dive deeper into the themes of public education, teachers' unions, and political activism, we want to hear from you, our listeners. If you're a teacher, parent, even a member of the community, we extend an open invitation for you to send us a voice recording with your name, occupation, and why you're sticking with the union during these politically turbulent times. We love to play these recordings at the beginning of our episodes and share your thoughts with our listeners. You can send these recordings to PCTA Fire, that's F Y R E, pod at gmail.com. Additionally, we encourage you to write to your representative and advocate for teachers' unions and public education. You can easily locate your representative by visiting www.myfloridahouse.gov forward slash find your representative. Your voice can make a difference in supporting education and the future of our students. So take a moment to send us a voice clip and write to your representative. Let's work together to positively impact education for all. And we're back. And we're going to begin our base award, folks. So just for all our listeners who are not familiar, the base award is something that is agreeable or respectable or lately I've been saying something positive, right? Because we're always going to end on a good note. So to start us off today, we have my president day, <laughs> Nancy Filardi. So what's your base award for this week? Um, I am very happy that my little adorable puppy has finally been had broken so that I don't have to drag him back and forth to the office every single day. It frees up my time a little bit um, at not having to watch him all the time. So that's a very big positive. And my lunch with the superintendent this afternoon was very, very positive. I just see a very eventual but very good future for Pinellas. So for me, I'm going to go with my family. Uh, you know, my family sacrifices an awful lot uh, for me to be able to be in the advocacy role that I'm in. And, uh, you know, I have one daughter who's in college at Howard University in Washington, D.C., about to finish her second year. But she's a junior because Florida's public schools well prepared her for the collegiate level. And so she's ahead of schedule. And my youngest daughter, who's about to start high school next year, um, she just got in uh, to a dance program with the Alvin Ailey Institute in New York City. Uh, the Alvin Anthony Dance School in New York City for the summer. Wow, so, oh, that's extremely uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, so 
So even even with all the work we do and the sacrifices that so many make, and I gotta say to Nancy especially, the hardest job right now in the state of Florida is being a local union president uh, because there's just so many demands. And so for Nancy and all our local presidents out there, they do amazing work. And I don't think people understand how much uh, local presidents sacrifice every day uh, to make sure that we have an organized, strong voice for our profession. Uh, my based award is actually going to go to kind of my whole student body, all of my students. Um, this year, I'm teaching uh, Cambridge International's ACE program, the general paper, for the, uh, the first year at our school. And next week, we have our exam. And uh, to get them ready to, to review for this, I went full drill sergeant mode this week. I was a different person. Um, this year has been a struggle. Some of my students have been struggling. So I went against everything that I have done all year long and the years past. And we just did handwritten essays every day. Every day was an assignment. Every day points counted. And it was, you know, rather than me kind of treating them like young adults and allowing them to self-regulate and have the independence and be able to communicate with me, um, I just made demands. <laughs> <laughs> And they they stepped up. They you know in in some cases they genuinely surprised me. So I, I don't I, I doubt any of my students are listening to me now. They don't listen to me when I'm in the classroom and they're supposed to be. So I doubt they're listening on their free time. But um, but so if you are one of my students and you're listening, I I apologize. I'm sorry, but it works. So so I think I know that my students are prepared for this exam. So embrace fascism. No. no, no. <laughs> Um, em embrace the, the regimentation and the rigor. <laughs> Fascism. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, one of your students who I had last year, he was telling me, because he hangs out with me during third period, he comes back from a, a technical school, like P-TECH. Mm -hmm. He comes from P-TECH and he hangs out in my room during third period because he has no class. And he's like, you know, Belcash has been kind of like strict lately and I like it. And I'm like, what? Because, <laughs> yeah, like, it actually feels like we're doing stuff every day, and I feel like we're, like, getting ready. I was like, oh, okay. Well. See, we, we do stuff every day in I my know. class. It's just, it's not on TikTok, so they miss it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Subway Surfers, you know. <sighs> You're going to make me quit. When I... <laughs> All right, so I guess it leaves up to me, right? And Pinellas County Schools has brought back The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. So I think this is, um, we're reaching some sort of resolution in our arc almost. Because when we first started, <laughs> we were yelling about, because we just found out The Bluest Eye. That's band. true, yeah. That we, would... Our first episode was about The Bluest Eye, and now here we are. And what, it's April now? Late April? Yeah, yeah, almost it's May. It's back, so... Folks, if you're listening, you're out there marching with us, you're out there screaming with us, it works. Mm -hmm. We got back to Blue Aside. Now it's time to work on, uh, what, Ruby Bridges? I think they did that one already. Isn't that one? Yes. We're good Ruby, for that, right? Yeah, Ruby yeah. Bridges is, is back on? Yeah. allowed to be shown at So we're two for two. Level. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Unions work, folks. That's the show. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brennan. I'm Philip. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nancy. Thank Take you, easy, guys. Peace out. Bye. Bye, everyone. Summer is on the horizon, but we would still like to remind our listeners that the school board will continue to meet on May 9th, June 27th, and July 11th at 10 a.m., as well as June 13th at 5 p.m. You might be thinking, gee, 
That's a lot of early meeting times. But this is definitely the norm here in Pinellas. Help us by going out and speaking against this to have the school board conduct its business when the working public is free to voice their concerns. It's vital for teachers, parents, and community members to attend these meetings and advocate for public education. Your voice and presence can play a significant role in shaping the future of education and improving our community. A special thank you to Philip Bel Castro for providing our theme music and Artifact for adding some great tracks into our intermissions. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Artifact's music at artifactjoints.bandcamp.com. We also want to express our gratitude to Radio St. Pete for airing our podcasts, Jamie Beck, Brian Bowden, Nancy Villardi, Lee Bryant, and all of our supporters from the education community, as well as our new monthly listener, Jacob Albert. Your support and dedication has been instrumental in getting the word out and reaching new listeners. That's all for today. I'm Brennan Pickett. Have a great day, guys.